The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. We're Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. If you're keeping track, this is episode number, what, 174. We've been on the air for about three years and happy to be here. Let me get started. The buzz today is breached again. I'll say that again. Breached again. Now let me tell you what it's all about. Forbes.com had a very interesting article called The Big Data Breaches of 2014. They list well-known brands like Neiman Marcus, Michaels, you know Michaels, the art and craft store, P.F. Chang's, mm, Dairy Queen, mm, maybe, Goodwill Industries. There's a company called Affinity Gaming that has 11 casinos, Albertsons, a supermarket, and 22.8 million private records of New Yorkers that have been zinged by data breaches of credit cards and personal information. OMG. What is the big deal about a breach? Well, other than inconvenience, look at it from the merchant's point of view, POV. Merchants are going to be cost dearly in terms of they're going to lose customers. They're definitely going to lose profits. Reputation, you know the word tarnished? Well, yes. And there could be substantial fines. We're going to find out about that. So we have a couple of pressing questions here. Are merchants waking up and becoming proactive about what we call PCI? That's the payment card industry compliance and security standards. Are they good standards? Are they not so good standards? Why should they comply? And another question that probably is on everybody's minds as consumers. How is it today, how easy is it for the hackers to gain access to your accounts through the merchant's unprotected vulnerabilities? So the operative question is, how, why do they have vulnerabilities in the first place? Why are they unprotected? What are the merchants doing about it? We have a lot of questions. We have a returning panel. This is part two of a topic we did a couple months ago. Returning panel with one new person on the panel. Let me tell you who we've got today. Richard McCammon from DeLego Software. Hillel Zafir from the HMS Technology Group. And joining us, a new panelist today, is Gerlinda Zabulski from SAP. So let me get started. You know the usual deal. They've all sent me very interesting quotes, and we're going to hear from them. First, Next up, Richard McCammon, VP of Integrated Solutions at DeLego Software, welcoming you back. And you sent me a quote from Lord Robert Baden-Powell, who lived from 1857 to 1941, nice long life, and he was the founder of the Scout Movement. I was a Girl Scout, Richard, and I remember hearing and reading about him, as well as Juliet Lowe, who founded the Girl Scouts. Here's the quote, look wide, and even when you think you're looking wide, wider still. Wow, big quote. Richard, welcome back. How are you today? I'm very well. Thanks, Bonnie. Yeah, so on the uh, on that quotation, I I thought it was uh, it was pretty good. I mean, I've been in scouting movement now for over 30 years, uh, both as a youth and a, and as a uh, leader. So I thought it was it was 
pretty good for today's topic because the whole point of the data security and everything else that we're looking at is looking for those looking for those aspects of the business where vulnerabilities exist. So what we need to do is is look and then look again because we probably didn't mm-hmm. look wide enough through the networks. We didn't look wide enough through our our business process, processes and, and practices. So I really thought that uh, Lord Baden-Powell, as you pointed out, lived over 100 years ago and still had the vision to, to be able to, his words resonate even with today's technologies and everything else. So we need to look, uh, we need to keep that vision, we need to have that vision on our business, on our aspects of the business, on the security aspects particularly. And then once we thought we had it all right, we need to look again. Mm-hmm. And that's because, Richard, I think you'll agree, and you probably told me this on part one, that the hackers, the I'll say bad guys and bad girls, in quotes, of course, they're a step ahead. They're smart. They're motivated. They have technology at their fingertips. They're creative, innovative. They're out there, and they're looking, looking, looking. So as they're looking wider for new ways to hack, the merchants and companies related to the merchants need to look even wider. Would you say that's a good way of looking at it? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because as we pointed out in the, in the first session, you're quite right. The hackers are out there. Um, they're looking for the dollars. Um, there are huge dollars to be had in the hacking. I mean, just the, the billions of dollars that, in fraud that exist in North America alone, and you extend that globally, and it just it multiplies from there. And so um, they're always going to be looking. As we migrate into uh, chip and pin in the United States, they're going to be moving into e-commerce. And, mm-hmm. um, and when they, we start putting controls on e-commerce, they're going to look for the people who don't have the controls on e-commerce. And so mm-hmm. they're always looking. They're always going to be that step ahead of us. And we just if we can stay one step behind them, then ah. we'll be cutting back into the fraud. Interesting. Very interesting. We'll have to make that a quotable from Richard McCammon. You just became quotable. There you go. Let's turn to our second panelist, also welcoming him back from part one. It's Hillel Zafir. He's the co-founder and president of HMS Technology Group. And Hillel sent me a very interesting quote. Uh, it's popular, it's unattributed, and it's considered a truth project management. And here's the quote. If it happens once, it's ignorance. If it happens twice, it's neglect. If it happens three times, it's policy. I love that one. Hillel, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Thanks for joining us. I know you've been a little under the weather, so thank you for climbing out of wherever you were hiding and holding out and joining us today. I love this quote. It's the same one you used on part one, but it just resonates. So what is this about ignorance, neglect, and policy? You think this is a buzzword and a byword for life in general, and how does it apply to our topic of data breaches? I want to focus on the third part. If it happens three times, it's policy. Mm -hmm. The way we see it is because... You know, the merchants today, they're kind of used to the breaches. It's kind of, you know, they've almost resigned to the fact and say, well, it's going to happen. And when it happens, we'll just deal with it then. So there's no proactive reason for someone to go out there and say, why can't we buck the trend and say, let's do something unique. Let's implement something new. Let's develop a new security. Let's try to, like Richard says, let's try to stay, you know, one step behind them. Why do we accept the fact that breaches is a common thing and we don't, create or we don't innovate in a way where security breaches should become a forefront of any merchant's uh, marketing initiative, business plan initiative, and obviously security initiatives. 
I like that. Take the step back and say, why do we have to have them? Is it a, is it acceptable? Let's put it this way. Is it an accepted fact of life? Right now, the answer is yes. Is it acceptable? The answer has to be no. Correct, Hillel? It has to be no. Correct. It has to be no. And even if you say, you, you, just because you say that it's not acceptable, it doesn't mean it won't happen, but at least you're, you're fighting it. You're, you're proactively engaging them and, and making it more difficult to happen. At the end of the day, breaches... Some say it's not, it's not stoppable. Some say you could try to stop it. But you know what? If you make yourself a, a much more difficult target, they'll go on to the next person that isn't as, that isn't as difficult as a target as you are. Thank you very much. All good. And I want to welcome our third panelist. She's new to Coffee Break with Radio. Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. Her name is Gerlinda Zabulski. She is the head of security product management at SAP. And Gerlinda sent me this really interesting quote. It's a mixed metaphor for a lot of things. She says, the forecast is cloudy with a chance of security. Gerlinda, this is, this is a wonderful quote. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm good. very well, thank you, and thanks for inviting me to the show. I'm thrilled to pieces. Well, I'm glad you're thrilled. We're thrilled to have you. This quote, are you sure it's yours? Because it just sounds like something. It just sounds like something that should be painted on the side of a building somewhere. It's very memorable. <laughs> Tell me how this quote relates to our topic. Go ahead, Gerlinda. Yeah, so it's definitely mine. I uh, came up with this title for a an introduction, introductory presentation to on cloud security in 2012. I submitted a topic to the um, Grace Hopper Conference for Women in Computing. It, it got accepted, and I, I strongly recommend for all the women listeners here to attend this conference if they may. It's a super conference to to get the latest and greatest um, on technology presented by women. And Back then, I thought, oh, am I going to call this introductory cloud security? That's not really a nice title. That's not getting anything across. So I called it Cloudy with a Chance of Security. And back then, I mean, 2012, um, there wasn't – this was a completely new topic, and there was a lot mm-hmm. of insecurity um, amongst people. Should I – customers, should I, should I move to the cloud? What, what are the security measures? What are the – you have to have service level agreements, SLAs, what is available. Um, and funnily enough, um, last week we had a, had a conference, which I attended with our customers, and there was a customer group that started debating amongst themselves, and uh, quite a few actually uttered that um, if, they, um, if, you, if you go to a cloud deployment today, your deployment will be much more secure, will be the most secure than any other on-premise deployment, which I thought, no, well, that's an interesting comment to make. Either your trust level has really gone up here or um, the um, technology, uh, which undoubtedly has become better, especially for security, and has has become uh, also used. Um, so that's that's the history behind this uh, this title, which is definitely mine, my own invention. Well, I am... I am I'm delighted to have you with a title like that, but I want to do a little, I did a little, Linda, and it turns out that some people who are listening to us around the world may not know or remember who Grace Hopper is. So if you'll allow me, I'd just like to read a little bit of a bio of her. May I? Absolutely. Go ahead. 
Okay. Grace Murray Hopper, uh, 1906 to 1992, was an American computer scientist and U.S. Navy Rear Admiral. Her title was Rear Admiral Grace M. Hopper, USN and Ph.D. She was one of the first programmers of the Harvard Mark I computer in 1944. And this is very important. She invented the first compiler for a computer programming language. She popularized the idea of machine-dependent programming languages, which led to the development of COBOL, one of the first high-level programming languages. Gerlinda, what's so important to me is that back in the day when I started my career, I was a COBOL programmer. That's all I did 24 hours a day was programming COBOL. So I have to do a shout-out in absentia to Grace Hopper for inventing COBOL because I loved it morning, noon, and night. There you go. Were you, are you, or were you a, a programmer, Gerlinda? Do you know p- people who still are? Of course. I mean, um, I um, know a few programming languages myself, um, but I do not work as a programmer right now. Um, but in, in product management, what your what my job is, my day-to-day job, you you go to customers, you present the products, you explain the security features and functions of SAP security, and you gather requirements. And your task then is to channel those requirements back to the product owners and the developers who then have to program it. Okay, good to know. Thank you. Old skills come in handy. We all know that. So let's go back to Richard McCammon. And Richard knows from being on the show earlier this year that uh, it's time for me to do a little storytelling with my guests. And I'm going to ask you, Richard, what's in your cup today? Because our theme is Coffee Break with Game Changers. That's our title. What are you drinking right now, Richard, if it's interesting? And if not, what are you going to be drinking later today? Talk to me. I'm going to keep it a little uh, little different this time. Um, I went all the way down to Brazil last time to uh, for some <laughs> cachaça and the rest of it. So this time I'm going to keep it a little just. Uh, I'm going to keep it as simple as hot chocolate, and I like a good hot chocolate uh, through the through the day. Um, but more importantly, as I mentioned, the, the scouting background also brings it all out. So I, I can have a hot chocolate in the office here. I can have one at home before going to bed, but I can also have one on the top of a mountain as I'm. Uh, dealing with the scouts and trying to get them off to bed or whatever's there, um, and just then sit down and watch the uh, the sunset. And I remember one time we uh, had an opportunity in, in northern Ontario. Uh, there was a, uh, a chap, one of the uh, scout masters, and he got himself in a little bit of trouble, got himself severely dehydrated. And we got him all fixed up, got him hydrated, uh, sent out the rescue teams, got everything settled down. But before the rescue team had actually gotten to us. Uh, I sat on the uh, the edge of a hill overlooking a, a lake, had a hot chocolate in hand, and and mm. suddenly everything became clear. It became relaxed. <laughs> uh, everything was taken care of, and I could just sit back and enjoy the sunset. So it was a, it was a wonderful time, and the hot chocolate was a big part of that. What a beautiful picture story. I have a question for you. When you're traveling, obviously, you don't have the, the box of sugar or whatever kind of sweetener, agave or whatever. You don't have the cocoa and the, the special temperature to heat the milk or the hot water. So when you're, when you're traveling, when you're home, do you make this from scratch? Do you have a special recipe for it, Richard? Or is it out of a, out of a little pouch? Um, when I'm home, I don't have any special recipes. I, I treat recipes as guidelines. So basically, you're <laughs> Me right. Too. No, it is. It's it's made from scratch. It's it's cocoa, and then however sweet I want to make it. And sometimes it's brown sugar, white sugar. I used to work in the sugar industry, so I pour a little bit of the uh, the extra sweet sweeteners in there as well. So it's it's, it's a real combination depending on how I feel. 
How nice. A drink that's flexible for your mood and your location. I like that a lot. Thank you. Hillel Zafir, I know you haven't been feeling well, so are you drinking something special for your voice, or what's in your cup today, Hillel? Right now it's good old green tea, but I could definitely use a ice-cold Brooklyn lager. Ah! <laughs> that, that always helps. It always hits the spot. I'm glad to know that. And are you planning to have one later today? If I'm up to it, I think I will. Okay, I want you to think of us when you do that. Thank you, Hillel and Gerlinda Zabolski. Where are you today, Gerlinda, and what are you drinking? I'm in the SAP offices in uh, Palo Alto, and um, since I'm a caffeine addict uh, right now, I have a Coke Zero. Uh, a couple of minutes ago, I had a Starbucks regular coffee with Splenda. I'm also a Splenda addict. He'll get a he'll get a shock. Um, <laughs> I, I drink coffee since I'm seven years old, and uh, so the reason is that I suffer from low blood pressure, and when I was seven, the teachers alerted my mother that I got really quiet in school and wasn't really participating, so she took me to the pediatrist, and she suggested I should have coffee in the morning, and that's what my mother um uh, Mother gave me. I mean, I come from a family of uh, of coffee loving uh, uh, people. We all drink coffee. So, um, and if I don't get it, I'll get one of those bad caffeine, lack of caffeine headaches. So, I need to start my day with a good cup of coffee. Well, thank you for sharing that personal story. That's very interesting. Giving coffee to a seven year old. I would think that would be a very progressive thing to do. Because a lot of families would say no. Yeah, does it keep you awake at night, Gerlinda? Do you stop drinking caffeine at a certain point during the day? No, I'm uh, I'm past those things. It doesn't keep me awake. I can drink it any time. <laughs> but, of course, in the evenings, uh, uh, Hillel prefers uh, um, his drink. I would prefer a glass of dry white wine or something like that. I wouldn't drink coffee for dinner or something like that. Interesting. we got a lot of personal habits here. I really appreciate it. Guess what? We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll be rejoined with Richard McCammon from DeLego Software. That's D-E-L-E-G-O. Hillel Zafir at HMS. You can all spell that technology group. And Gerlinda Zabulski at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. We have a very important topic today. So important. This is part two. We're talking about data security in the age of credit card breaches. And the operating question here is, do we have to have them? And what can we do about making them go away? And what can merchants do? We'll be talking a little bit about PCI compliance and security we come back and ways that we can stop those hackers from doing what they think is their job. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network 
you're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Welcome back to Part 2 of Data Security in the Age of Credit Card Breaches. If you want to hear Part 1, go to voiceamerica.com and look on the business channel and scroll down to the calendar. Find on Wednesdays the Coffee Cup logo for Coffee Break with Game Changers. And look in the January time frame, I think it was mid-January, and you will see data security in the age of credit card breaches, which we didn't know was part one at the time. It was just that topic. So there, I'm speaking today with Richard McCammon at Delego, Hillel Zafir at HMS Technology, and Gerlinda Zabuski at SAP. And let's get started with our roundtable. Richard McCammon, I'd like to talk about PCI regulations. And you have gone on record as saying the following. Merchants truly do not understand PCI regulations, the implications, the costs, and what non-compliance can mean. And then you add, these standards have been around for a very long time. So why don't you give us a little primer or primer, if you prefer, in Canadian, of, of what <laughs> PCI is all about, Richard. Go ahead. Yeah, let, let's do a bit of a uh, background. I think we covered this in the first session, but for those who are new to the, uh, the Game Changers, uh, PCI is the payment security standards that are set by a council. The council was originated by the, the six major credit cards that are out there, so Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discoverers, et cetera. And really what it, it, it's trying to do is set uh, standards that have to be applied and have to be followed by every merchant. And the definition of a merchant is, is quite simply anybody who accepts a credit card. So if you're accepting any one of those six major cards, then you have to follow the regulations that are being put in place. And these being enforced by a number of different ways, the banks, uh, the card issuers, uh, the processors are all in, engaged in the enforcement of this. But really what it boils down to is a set of standards that um, look at various aspects of the business. It looks at your network. It looks at... Uh, your standards and protocols as far as the, the implementation of security. It looks at um, physical uh, locations, so do you have controlled access? There's a number of points that, that, that are going through. And the problem is coming, is that it's getting tougher and tougher to get involved in these. And I was looking at an article the other day, and it was saying that between 2013 and 2014, there was a doubling in the number of merchants that were completely compliant with the regulations. Now, this was, would have been what was known as version two of the uh, PCI DSS, or the uh, Payment Card Industry Data Security Standards. Mm -hmm. uh, version three came out in January and is now being implemented, has to be implemented by June. But let's concentrate on the statistics that were there. 2013 to 2014, there was a doubling in the number of merchants that were fully compliant. It doubled to 20%. Mm. So literally four out of five companies were not fully compliant. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so this article went on and, and was quite excited that there was, there was everybody <laughs> joining the bandwagon, they were being compliant and everything else. But it literally said that four out of five were not fully compliant. Now, some of them may have been, they may have had a small uh, gaps in what they were looking for. Uh, they, they, they might have gotten 
through 80% of the compliance issues, and we're still working on the other 20%. Article didn't go into that depth, but the bottom line is, and this is why I'm saying when I've when you get that quote, is merchants don't understand what they're supposed to do because literally only 20% of the people that are out there are are following the standards to its to its full degree, and it's going to get even worse because version three starts adding even more security regulations uh, in place. The, the same number, but it, it gets deeper and deeper into the network. It gets deeper into the uh, the fiscal access. It gets deeper into a lot of different uh, elements of someone's business. And if 20% were only achieving on the version 2, it's going to drop from there. That, that's my prediction. We don't have the statistics on that because we won't know until June of this year uh, when the uh, when it fully gets enforced. Now, the other part of that is what happens when, when people don't follow the regulations? Well, mm-hmm. the mandate is that everybody's to be fully compliant. And if you're not fully compliant, it can go anywhere from uh, fines all the way down to losing your uh, ability to accept credit cards. Now, that hasn't happened very often. Uh, the fines are, are not being meted out, um, and that's probably why there is a little bit of reluctance in the market because they don't see the, the uh, they, they, they see the carrots but not the sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so ultimately what's going to happen, and we're seeing that, you listed off a number of the big breaches. We're seeing it yes. in breaches. Um, when people aren't compliant, we end up with these huge breaches. Uh, something as simple as leaving a, a router with the uh, default password on it. One of the big breaches that was out there was a cleaning supply company was a, had access to the network and they weren't PCI compliant. And as a result, somebody came in through the back door. So it, it, mm-hmm. and this goes back to the original statement that I made, the, the quotation, you know, we have to look and then we have to look again. We have to have that broader vision. And if we don't, once the breaches happen, it's, it, we're looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in fines. In some cases, it, it can get into the millions. Um, as an example, if you get breached and there's a million credit cards that are breached, typically what people want to do is that they'll, they'll, um, they'll be given 100 or $125 uh, access to um, their own files so they can watch their credit ratings. Mm-hmm. Now, it's costing the company a million times $100, do the arithmetic, we're looking it at... It adds up. Forget all the, the fines. The fines are cheap by comparison to what the mitigation is all about. So it's, we really need to start looking at the costs and, and weighing it against the, uh, the ultimate costs of a breach. Thank you, Richard. Great insights on this compliance, to comply or not to comply. I don't think it's the question. The, the question is, why aren't you, damn it? Uh, let's turn to Hillel Zafir. Hillel, thoughts on PCI or anything related? Share us, please. Sure. So I want to go a little step further than Richard was saying. I think that PCI compliance, besides the fact that the merchants don't know what it's all about, the banks are not proactively communicating with the merchants, and the gateways and the processors in between don't have any clue what the rules are and how to enforce them. Today, it's as simple as you know, filling out a couple of papers and say, okay, I'm PCI compliant. I say, and this is what we tell all our, all our clients, become as paranoid as paranoid can be, because the more paranoia you have, the better you'll lock down your, your environment. And the other thing that I always say is you must include the consumer in this discussion. 
because today the consumer has zero liability for any fraud that happens on their card. So if they're doing something that's um, either not as smart or not as secure, they should know about that too. Let them be the ones that demand from the merchants the PCI compliance. So there has to be a consumer drive to add security. And number three is there hasn't been any major innovation in security standards and credit cards in a very long time. We see something coming up right now. We see the Apple Pays of the world. We see the Google Wallets of the world. They're adding certain levels of security, and those security measures are great because it does what's called tokenization. So those numbers that are actually being transmitted to the banks are one-time use card numbers that cannot be reused again, which is a great way of you know, bypassing the, these issues. But I think that at this table, you have to have the merchants, the banks, and the consumers. Whoever's involved in this, whoever has a part of the play in this uh, fraud activity, needs to be part of the discussion. Mm, thank you. Gerlinda, join us. Thoughts? A lot on the table here. Okay, so I definitely concur with the quote, Richard's quote from Lord Robert Baden. Powell look wide and even wider still. Um, and I, I like the PCI DSS requirements. They're actually, I call them the 10 command, uh, 12 commandments, um, since they're made up of, out of 12 uh, requirements for good IT security. Um, and anybody, um, also if you just um, have a, a private laptop uh, to walk through them and uh, um, and implement them it, it might, is a very good idea, even if you just use your private laptop. However, in my mind, they are not going far enough, which, of course, makes it scary if Richard quotes that there are so few um, merchants actually adhering to them. And let me give you a couple of examples of what I mean. Please do. Um, so, so, so shalt not run a network without installing and maintaining a firewall. Good, it's, it's a good idea to always install a firewall, but it's what in the IT security world is, is called perimeter security, which is quite outdated. It's sort of like a medieval concept, if you will, that everybody outside is evil and everybody inside is good. And if you then combine this, with the requirement, which is good, so shalt not use the vendor-supplied default passwords, um, mm-hmm. and so shalt encrypt um, uh, public networks. I mean, what about your own uh, network within your um, your own domain, so to speak, um, for the uh, the merchants within on his own premises, or for the the big uh, credit card companies on their own in within their own IT domains. If you um, if you have the whole um, communication path unencrypted, you're basically sending uh, the passwords of your administrators, of your credit card administrators, people that work with your systems in clear text over the wire. And it's very easy to grab such a password. Why only encrypt the public network? Why not encrypt um, your uh, your own network? So I would uh, demand that um, these PCI DSS requirements become stricter. Um, and then the passwords, a whole other story. Um, mm-hmm. If you could enforce strong password rules with, uh, I don't know, you have so many capital letters, so many special uh, letters, so many uh, numbers. Uh, today, uh, the usage of mobile devices is very pervasive. Are you going to authenticate an underscore capital I 
industry, just imagine somebody trying to type in this password on a mobile device. I mean, that makes it unusable, and people will, um, will try to find ways of using easier passwords. Um, then lastly, uh, and this also uh, is, ties very nicely into what Richard said, um, we just asked a couple of customers, uh, what about your own uh, communication uh, paths? How do you encrypt them? And it was just a, a small group of customers, uh, 10 and, and 7 answered the questions. So from those 7 unanswered for system-to-system communication, which is usually done for batch jobs, um, background jobs, uh, transferring data from one system to another within your own domain, six out of the seven did not encrypt the communication path. And mm. if this includes a lot of business, business critical data or credit card data, they're all in clear text. In, uh, of course, on your, in your, within your own IT domain, but tying this back to the firewall requirement, do you really think everybody within your own IT domain is, is good? It's, I don't know. So I think the PCI requirements really need to be, need to be a lot stricter in force, um, a, lot, uh, a lot more than they do. But if we don't even get it here to right now, if people aren't fully compliant, it poses a, poses a problem. Thank you, Gerlinda. Great information. I love the concept of the 12 commandments. That's something everybody sits up and listens to. They're not sure what you're saying to them, but they want to know whose commandments and who should be impacted by them. Richard McCammon, you introduced this topic. We've had a lot of additional thoughts. Yes. Yeah, just before we, we jump off this and go to the next one, I'd, li- I'd like yeah. to circle back to uh, a couple of things. That uh, Well, one thing that Halil said is that we've got to get the consumer involved. I would suggest the consumer doesn't care. Um, consumer doesn't care in what is security. We, we see so many things that we put in place uh, that help establish uh, greater security, reduce, uh, fraud reduction. I think of things like the, uh, the verified by Visa, the MasterCard secure code, and others that are similar to them, all in the class of 3D secure, where you go out on a web page, for instance, and you get passed over to uh, the bank or somewhere else, and you have to put in an, another PIN. So you, get, you go through all the credit card information, you give that security code that's on the back, you give everything else, and then you're branched off to the site. And we're seeing abandonment rates of 80% on, mm. uh, when people go off to these sorts of things. So um, the consumer really doesn't care, doesn't want to get involved. It has to be transparent to the consumer. Things like the Apple Pay that's introducing levels of security that are behind the scenes, and we're using the... Uh, uh, the, the touch devices, those sorts of things, in order to get the the, uh, the extra level of security with a fingerprint, those are going to work. Um, but again, the, in my opinion, the, the consumer really doesn't care about uh, anything about security. All they want is a very simple experience. They want it to be transparent. They they want it to be one touch. They, they just don't want to be anything involved with security. And this is one of the challenges that we've got is that because consumers don't want to be part of the security puzzle, and yet they're the ones that uh, are probably one of the weakest links in the entire security uh, puzzle, it's a real challenge for us as providers uh, and those that are trying to, to solve these problems and prevent attacks to actually get involved. And uh, so thank you, throw Richard. that one out there, and I'll come back to uh, the one that I want to, I want to chat on about. Uh, Bonnie, can I? Can yeah. I make a quick nope. on that? Please do not. You don't have to hurry. We have plenty of time. Halil, go ahead. I, I want to hear more. Say, I agree. I agree with Richard 100%. The consumer does not care. 
And that's yes. exactly why we have to make it a seamless, exciting, and fun type of way to pay. When an Apple Pay type transaction takes place, the consumer actually, it, it, it's, some, it's sort of cool. You know, you're just whipping out your phone, you're putting mm-hmm. it in your reader, you're putting your thumb on it. Well, we did two things. First of all, we actually made the payment process easier for the consumer. It's easier than reaching into your wallet and taking out your card and stripping it and putting it back into your wallet. So we made the credit card process, the, the payment checkout process, we now made the consumer, we made it easier for him. But unbeknownst to the consumer, because they don't care, obviously, like you just said, they don't want more tedious work. They don't want more tedious checkout process. Quite frankly, they want simpler t- t- checkout processes. But the type of solutions like Apple Pay does exactly that. It simplifies it, but at the same time adds a layer of security that the consumer doesn't have to do anything more. In fact, the consumer is doing less and still gets a better security and a better and a more secure transaction than he did in the past with his simple credit card. Hillel, I want to ask you about near-field communications. I'm looking at your notes here, and I was going to go there next. I'm, I'm very glad that we're talking about the fact that the consumer doesn't care. But more important, I think there's another aspect that not only don't we as consumers, not we don't care, and we want it simpler, but if it's not simpler, we will go somewhere else where somebody offers it simple, simpler. So isn't that another layer of the lost business where if you make it too hard and you fail too often, consumers will say, nope, that's not the credit card for me. No, that's not the bank for me, and they will walk away because they want it simple, easy. They don't want to read about breaches. We don't want to know more big companies were hacked. We don't want to know every day that our personal information is at risk. Am I right? Anybody uh, talk to me? I, I agree with you on that 100%, but if you look at there, there are three major, we, we look at the three types of payment methods, uh, one of them obviously being Apple Pay. The other one, I don't know if you're familiar with Starbucks. Starbucks has its own checkout process. You see that consumers do like something new. And again, it's, they only like it if it doesn't introduce a new level of complexity. Yes. Um, the big box retailers right now are working on their own version of, you know, a checkout process with the motive not necessarily to increase security, but the motive is to skirt the, uh, uh, you know, the transaction fees by the credit card companies. But there is, there is a, a discussion now how to make the checkout process for the consumers easier. And I might add to that, the merchants do not care. Again, they're not doing this because they want a more secure process. They're doing this because they want a lower abandonment rate, either online at the shopping cart or in the store. They want a more seamless checkout process so they can squeeze out more dollar per square foot in that store. Yes, but yes, yes. As a, as a value add, by automating certain processes and by utilizing newer technologies such as a mobile phone or eventually the Apple Watch, you're also introducing a layer of security. So the, the ulterior motive, obviously, is not security. They don't care about security. They care about mm-hmm. seamless and simple checkouts. But we will, it will achieve a higher level of transactional security. Thank you. Girl, Linda, well, I, I heard you. Linda, yeah, so yes. I'd like to comment on Richard and, and Hillel. Um, I think there should, it would be great if we had security technology that is easy to use for the consumers so that they can rely on that so that the transactions with credit cards are secure. And there is technology out there that does that and offers that. But I also disagree that the consumer shouldn't shouldn't be involved in the sense that um, I think we need to educate consumers. I, I think they should know more about security and understand more um, because it is their data ultimately um, that gets breached, 
mm-hmm. and uh, they should really uh, should really be better ed- educated on that. Interesting approach. Um, and, and Gerlinda, I'm going to go on a limb or maybe not so far to say that articles like what I quoted in my opening, Forbes.com, very widely read, obviously. When you have an article called The Big Data Breaches of 2014 and you are naming companies, the reason I included these in my opening is because they touched everything. P.F. Chang's is a, a restaurant. Dairy Queen, you go there for ice cream. You want fun. Goodwill, you drop off your stuff to donate it, pay it forward, give back, recycle. Gaming, 11 casinos, come on, that's where people go to forget. Albertsons, that's grocery stores. Neiman Marcus, upscale apparel. I, I picked these from the list because they show that we are affected in so many ways that are near and dear to us, and we, we should be involved. Um, Richard, Hillel, do you agree or disagree with what Gerlinda brought up? I agree, but the consumer again. The, I, I'm going to I'm going to say that in this case, the consumer doesn't really care because I know as a consumer, if my credit card information is breached, most of the time uh, I will not be liable for any transaction. So there's no mm-hmm. physical or monetary loss to me. So why should I care? Next thing is I get a new credit card in the mail, and if I'm uh, depending on the credit card provider, I get it overnighted to me. I'm being catered to on a silver spoon. Why would I deviate from my regular, uh, uh, you know, day-to-day operation? I agree that we need to include them, but there's no incentive for them to be included. They're perfectly happy. They're running around. They're, everything's fine and dandy. There's no reason for them to change. There's no incentive Rich- for them to change. Richard, what do you think? Well, I think I think it's laudable goal to include the uh, the consumer in in an education and and try to uh, bring them up to speed because, as pointed out by both of the others, that, uh, they're a key part of this whole thing and, and probably have the greatest amount of risk in the sense that, uh, and ultimately, if, if their, their whole personality is hacked, they can end up on the hook for other things other than the credit card transaction. So is right. From a credit card transaction perspective, they've got very little risk. But if we start expanding that to beyond credit cards and just talk about uh, data security just generally, then they can be on the hook for ultimately um, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. I mean, people have gotten mortgages up here in Canada. I don't know if it's happened in the States, but they've gotten mortgages because they've been able to pretend they're somebody else. And yet the mm-hmm. the, the original individual is still on the hook for that mortgage. So it, it's uh, we've been concentrating on credit cards, but I mean, we start talking about data security generally. I think we do need to educate, but I think it's a goal. I really don't think that we're going to have much success. As I mentioned earlier, we can't even seem to educate the merchants, and they've got the huge, they've got the biggest investment of all in in any loss because of the fines and and, uh, and particularly the the risk that they're putting their whole brand at. So, if we're having a tough time teaching them about data security and uh, and getting them to enforce the data security standards that we have in place, getting the consumer involved. Although a great goal, I think we'll have a real challenge doing it. Interesting. Gerlinda, what are your thoughts on uh, what we had the feedback from your other two panelists on your thought that we need to get the consumer involved? Is it a lost cause, Gerlinda? I think um, I concur with that uh, everybody just wants, wants the systems running and doesn't care so much for um, how it, what, what are the um, nitty-gritty technical details behind all of this. They just want it. They, it should... The, the, the machine has to run. I totally understand that. But on the other hand, I think if you, um, 
I, I could imagine uh, having a lot of fun with a school class where uh, we teach um, cryptography, where you try to break uh, codes. Um, uh-huh. If you get older, you can you can do hackathons. You can do the capture the flag events. Uh, you can even do that with adults. Um, um, I think I think that's kind of fun to to work with riddles. Um, that might be one of the ways uh, to educate um, people, whether the merchants or consumers, for the really for the the technical details on the systems right now. I concur. That's that's kind of kind of tough, probably to to mm-hmm. educate people on that because they just want uh, want the machine to run and not understand what what's behind it. Okay, thank you. Uh, very interesting. I, I want to go to, let's see, we've got how much time left? We've got 12 minutes till the end of the show. We've covered a lot of information here. I'm going to throw this open to the panel. Should we talk a little bit about the cost to the merchants, which ultimately, in dollar costs, you may not be paying for erroneous charges or false charges on your credit card, but somebody's going to pay for them. The merchant's going to pay, and that could end up with raising rates, raising prices. It's going to trickle down. Somebody has to pay for it. So we want to talk about the costs, and I know Hillel has some good examples here in your notes, or do you want to talk about, uh, I love Richard sent me a, an analogy of the Matroshka doll, the fact that security is like an onion and you have to peel it away. So I'll leave it to the panel. Uh, Gerlinda? Hillel, Richard, where do we want to go with the time we have remaining? We need to save about six minutes for predictions. So anybody have a thought? I'm open. I would rather go to the Matryoshka onion uh, <laughs> uh, analogy. But <laughs> I like I, I'm, I'm from My father is from Russia, so um, I, I would rather go for that, but I'm open to costs. So I, don't, I, I think I don't we mind. will then. Hillel, you good with that? I love it. Let's go for it. Good. Okay. I was hoping you would all agree with that because we, we, we don't want to hear more about the dollars and cents. I think we've already already been enamored of, wow, that's a lot of money. So, Richard McGann, why don't you just give us a very brief overview of the Matryoshka doll analogy of security being an onion that you peel away. And then I'd love to hear Hillel's and Gerlinda's thoughts. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, well, I think in the, the, the 12 commandments, as Gerlinda said, it, it really tries to address some of those things. So, if you, if you think of of security um, as that onion or the Matryoshka doll. Really what you're trying to do is, um, you know, let's start at the outside. Let's talk about networks and network security. So we talk about making sure that the, the perimeter security that Gerlinda was talking about earlier, we make sure that that's rock solid so that nobody can get into the network. And um, so that would be the first element. And then inside, once you're inside the network, you know, how do we do the, how do we can control in the, uh, the communication inside and and that comes down to passwords and things like that and okay now we get into the physical location where where do you put your servers so that i may be able to connect to that server but i don't have access to it so i can't pull any data off it directly i'm controlled in what i and what i can get at so now we where do we put the server itself we put it into a locked room how do we how do we control the locks will we control who gets into the into that room through fingerprints or through keys or whatever it is that, that gains us access to that room. And then inside that room is a, is a locked cabinet. So we now need a key to open that cabinet. And if I'm working on one element of it, then I only have a key for that one cabinet because I don't need the key to the, the cabinet beside it. So I only get to access to that. And then, okay, and now I'm logging into the server itself. Well, now I have a special password to become the administrator. 
and you, you just you, you take a look at it, and it just keeps the onion after onion after onion. And it's no different in the e-commerce world, for instance. So when I'm doing a uh, a purchase on a website, I, I go through all the purchase, I hit the buy button, I give all the information on my credit card. Um, one of those things is the security code on the back. So there's the first layer of the onion. The security code passes. So now I want to go on and, and you know, if you use a 3D secure, the, the verified by Visa MasterCard secure code concept, I have to give another pin. So there's another layer of the onion. And then there, in the background, there are all sorts of things that are being done. We check the address, for instance. We check to see if that card's been used. We check to see if the card's been used in that that location as opposed to another location. Is my card being used in Brazil when the last transaction was in, in Canada? You know, so we, we, we start setting up all these fraud detection mechanisms, which also control the things. So it's every step that we go through, whether e-commerce or whether it's PCI security, we're just going layer after layer after layer. And the idea is that at the bottom of the the onion or the, the last doll that comes out, that's the really important one. That's the gold. That's mm-hmm. the, the primary account number. That's whatever we're after so that it just makes it more and more difficult. And every layer introduces just that more chal- that extra challenge to the hackers so they've got to go drill down and drill down and drill down. Mm, great analogy, great picture. And, uh, you know, in many forms of marketing, Richard, they say in, in a value prop development, you basically have to dr- drill down all the way to the bottom of so what. When you can answer the so what, why does it matter? What's important? Where's that nugget of truth that really matters? That's the last doll. I think it works in many types of systems. Uh, Hillel, I'd love to hear you talk about the Matroshka doll analogy and then Gerlinda as well. Go ahead. I, in my, in my, in my opinion, this Matroshka doll, I like, I like what Richard is saying. Um, I think that a lot of that, um, you know, as you peel back the onion, if you may, you take out one and you get to the bottom. I think the ultimate goal, and like I come back to it as well, uh, that last doll standing, that's the unknown. Who's that last doll standing? And that depends on who is going to be liable for what's going on. And that's the person we need to focus on. If it's a merchant that's liable, then that last doll standing becomes a merchant. If it's the bank, mm-hmm. then that last doll is the, is the merchant. It's not a definite who, that, who, the, who the last doll is. It all depends on ultimately who is going to absorb the cost and absorb the fallout from this um, you know, breach, if you may, and that's mm-hmm. the last doll. So from, from a marketing perspective, yes, the merchant is going to take a big hit when it comes to, to, to bad publicity. From a perspective of the bank taking a loss, yes, then the bank stays the last doll. And if it's a case where the consumer was reckless with his with his uh, information, and they end up being, you know, their information ends up being hijacked, then they're the mature, you know, they're the last doll standing. So it's not a definite who that last last piece mm-hmm. is. It depends on where we point blame to and who ultimately is left to clean up the mess. So it's a variable of what the, the definition of or the location and identification last all. And also, if we think about it, it's the, the old where does the buck stop? The buck stops here at the last all, literally, because that's where the money lands. That's where the money comes out of. Gerlinda, talk to me. Matryoshka dolls, what do you envision in terms of how it relates to PCI? Quickly, because we have to go to predictions. But one minute, Gerlinda, go ahead. Okay. So um, I think the Matryoshka doll is a very good uh, way of looking at it from a um, how how you want to secure la- your entire landscape kind of point of view. Security has to be a holistic concept of implemented technologies and of guidelines that you adhere to. Yeah, You have to use the technology. You have to really do it. Um, but 
I think from a from a attacker point of view, the attacker only has to find one hole. The defender has to defend them all, and that's what makes the defense so hard. Okay, thank you very much. Brief and to the point. I am ready to roll into slide into home plate, like I like to say. We're ready for our predictions round. I'm going to circle back to Richard McCammon at Delego. Richard, I can give you, let's say we have five minutes left. I need one. Why don't you take one minute, just as precise as you can, one minute for fast forward to the year 2020 or however far into the future you can see what will be different about, what will be better, shall I say, about stopping these data security breaches. Richard, predictions, when do you see in the future? Go. Um, I'm going to take go uh, out on the limb. Twenty By 2020 or earlier, I'm going to say that the PCI uh, standards are going to absolutely collapse. And my reason for that is that uh, I think they're getting so difficult to implement and it's getting so costly for people that people, um, the Walmarts of the world, the ones who own the banks and and others, are going to be introducing mechanisms that they can bypass the entire PCI uh, regulations. And then as a result of bypassing them, that will drive other merchants to look for ways to bypass them or to ignore them completely. And as a result, once one company, one large company gets away with bypassing the regulations and gets the Security Council to agree to it, then it's it's the chink in the armor and everything's going to start collapsing from there. So my prediction is by 2020, if not earlier, uh, we're going to see an entire collapse of the PCI security standards and we'll have to find something to replace it, but uh, it won't be based on the on the current standards at all. Thank you. Good. And let's move to Hillel Zafir. What do you predict and how far into the future, Hillel? I would say that by 2020, uh, as wearables become more uh, cost-effective, that will become a good way to pay. But the question is, what's the source funding? I think source funding may may very well be some social-type currency, not Bitcoin per se, but a currency that bypasses a centralized uh, processing system. Big box stores will join forces together, as we see already today, and they will have their own way of getting funds transferred amongst themselves, like Richard said, bypassing. But my, my, it's not because of PCI. My, I always say it's about the money. Whenever there's a way to reduce cost, that's a major catalyst to, to bring new technology in place. By reducing the cost by some sort of social currency, that's going to be the way that we will see a lot of payments go in. Thank you. That's very exciting. And Gerlinda, I saved a minute for you exactly. So what are your predictions? And you don't have to pick 2020. Go ahead. So I uh, I think th- I want to get three things across. I think we will continue to see data breaches, big data thefts, but what will become more prevalent is advanced persistent threats, APTs, um, which will target, uh, well, this is what they call cyber or, or our infrastructures, which will target sensors, devices, which also ties into the fact that this whole Internet of Things Security hasn't been thought through uh, yet, so we see lots of more, uh, lots more of those. And um, lastly, I think there is a lot of job security in IT security because I don't see us running, and that's past 2020, out of tasks uh, in IT security anytime soon, and out of threats in IT security anytime soon. So anybody that wants to have a real secure job, if you're interested in security, that's the the place to be in. 
Good to know. I didn't think we were on the HR show, but it sounds like we are. Thank you very much. I have exactly one minute to close the show. First, I have to say, Richard McCammon at DeLego, thank you so much for coming back. Always great insights. Hillel Zafir, I'm glad you recuperated in time to join us because we couldn't do this without you. And Gerlinda Zabolski at SAP, so happy. I think Erin Hughes reached out to you, and I have to do a shout-out to Erin for introducing you. I'm going to go on record right now and invite the three of you back for Part 3 in about two months. Would you like to come back? Richard, Hillel, and Gerlinda? Not sure, absolutely. Good, wonderful. It's done. I'll send... I'll send you a date. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. It's Wednesday today. Stay tuned for another edition this afternoon of uh, who have we got today? I think the Internet of Things with Game Changers is on at 3 o'clock today. Pardon me. And tomorrow, another edition of Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here with such a wonderful panel. Good exchange of insights. And I hope you all learned something, whether you're a merchant or a consumer or both, which most of us are. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Oh,